please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. And this week, you know, we've had kind of a an interesting week looking back. Not only was the Colorado theater shooter, his case ended and it went to the jury, but also we had another incident in Tennessee and and this on the heels of what happened in Lafayette, Louisiana, and the shooting at the the Army Recruitment Center in Chattanooga, it just keeps bringing us back to the same topic over and over again of gun violence and how to best prevent it. This topic is going to be kind of diverted from how do we keep criminals from getting guns over and over and over again, which the answer is we don't. Yeah, that's kind of the nature of the beast is people who are breaking the law tend to break the law. This incident, though, did not involve a criminal a f- and it didn't involve with a, a real gun. F- it didn't involve a firearm. It involved a schizophrenic with a toy gun. Yeah, I mean, he had an airsoft gun. I don't know if it was a pistol or a rifle, but he had an airsoft gun. He had what was described as, in some reports, a hatchet and some as a machete and a backpack. He was a 29-year-old paranoid schizophrenic who has been out of contact with his family for at least three years, uh, presumably off of his medication at the time of this incident. It seems to me that he went in costume to a showing of Mad Max at this theater just outside of Nashville, and while he was at the theater, became involved in some kind of altercation with with one of the other moviegoers, which ended with the moviegoer getting maced by this 29-year-old guy, at which point the theater was evacuated. Reports went out of an active shooter in the theater. All hell broke loose as police descended on. The SWAT team came. They said that when he was exiting the theater, he made a threatening advance towards the officers, and he was shot and killed on the scene. Well, that happens a lot. That happened in Bartow County last week where a man made a threatening move towards... Yeah, Someone with a stick. That that individual was involved in a domestic violence allegation. He was wearing boxer shorts and a baseball cap and had a stick in his hand. As he made a motion towards the officers, he was shot and killed on the scene. Stick or baseball bat, some reports said. It's, it's hard it's to conflicting. tell exactly what's true, but I kind of wondered why they didn't use their tasers. Yeah, I, I mean, it depends. You can do a lot of damage with the right stick. I'll give you that, but... Still, I mean, there's repeated incidents we see where people are being shot first and questions are asked later. And this is coming from a deep-rooted fear that's becoming, I think, institutionalized in police departments across the country on the step, you know, on the heels of what has happened last year in in cities around with Baltimore and Ferguson. Ferguson, Yeah, with officers getting executed in the streets like those in New York York. that were in their car. Um, These officers are are afraid that they're not going to make it home to their families. And I don't blame them really well i i think that officers have to be held to a higher standard when it comes to use of force than your average citizen and, and i agree but I, the fear is what i don't blame them for i no, understand their fear i understand the fear too but an average citizen may have one deadly force situation that arises in their lifetime whereas your average police officer may have three deadly force situations that arise in a shift and we also have officers that i'm going to venture to say are 
dangerously untrained with their firearm for as often as they have to use them. I think that that's very true. I mean, the people say, oh, highly trained police officers, highly trained in firearms. You know, back That explains when- why that officer in, in what county was it? I think it was Fulton County shot himself. No, it was Gwinnett. Shot himself in the leg this week. Yeah. I <laughs> Looking at the police officer qualifications... When I was in law school, we had to do a project for one of my classes. So I grabbed four people who had never shot a gun before in their life and had them shoot the police officer qualification course here that Georgia requires, cold turkey. I didn't tell them how to shoot, didn't tell them how to hold it, didn't do anything. Just handed them a, a, a handgun, pointed right end down range, and let them shoot the course. So how many people? Four? Four. How many passed? All four. So we're talking about a 100% passing rate for people with no firearms training whatsoever. whatsoever. So I'm going to venture to say that this test may not be the, the best way. Well, I mean, the... You're the, talking about qualifying, right? Yeah, this just qualifies you. But, I mean, still, it is enough qualification. So whenever I hear people talk about, oh, well, you know, police officers who are highly trained in the use of firearms, most of them are not. Most cops are not gun people. To begin with, uh-huh. and the few who are generally get segmented into some other field where they're doing something like armory duty, where they're taking care of weapons after hours. Or detective. That happens too. Yeah, does a lot. So you know the. I don't buy that police officers are highly trained. I also don't buy that they have as as much training in when to use force. I know they have extensive training compared to your average citizen, but still, given the odds of it coming up. It's a scary prospect. Well, I know that the the test that they make them taste or take the training on when to use force and things pop up on this thing. You have to, to shoot the right things in the test. And I'm not sure whether it's on a computer screen or whether it's in a, in a range. But I know that there's a time when you can accidentally shoot like the little girl or the teddy bear or, you know. Yeah, and, why, and it can be stressful. Why did little whatever her name was deserve to get shot? And then Will Smith in, in Men in Black's like, well, that dude's just he's just working out. And Snarling Beast dude, man, he's got allergies. But that girl, she's got physics books in the middle of the hood in the night. Those books are way too old for her, Zed. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow. Even Men in Black was teaching Will Smith which aliens to shoot. Yeah. And when. <laughs> but the the problem here is is training and i think that the problems even go further than the guns training and it's training for dealing with people with mental illness and i think that needs to be our focus at this point is really the mental illness factor because the lafayette shooter was mentally ill the colorado shooter was mentally ill the the gentleman who was shot and killed this last week was mentally ill Mm -hmm. the only one in the the recent series of events that wasn't involving mental illness involved a terrorist and we're not really sure whether he had any mental illness or not. He very well could have. The statistics are kind of shocking on the criminal activity and mental illness. Um, we have youth in our state and local juvenile justice systems. Did you know that 70% of them have some form of mental illness? Yes. So we're looking at even as into the age group of 13 through 18. These are the kids that are in like juvenile detention facilities and um juvenile probation mm-hmm. type things 70 percent of those kids are mentally ill that means 30 percent of them are, are just kind of bad kids but 70 percent of them are a little crazy yeah well the, that's the problem is that we use we do not have mental health facilities in this country that take care of people instead we use the criminal justice system the criminal justice them. system is not going to 
help anybody overcome a mental illness these these are the people that need serious therapy and possibly medication and i don't see the juvenile justice system as being the right course of action it's, to, to it's help not these children the right course but it's it's what we've defaulted to we've closed down state psychiatric hospitals we've defunded basically uh community health programs to the point where their main purpose now is to hand out condoms and band-aids and there isn't anybody there to do the kind of serious psychiatric help that these people need it just doesn't exist in this country and the people that are willing to take the help oftentimes are the ones that can't afford the help. And the the insurance companies will pay for 15 visits to a therapist a year. And, and a lot of people need more than well, if you're if, if you're seriously mentally ill, how are you holding down a job to have insurance? How are you being able to afford Obamacare? It just doesn't work that way. If if you're into Medicare and Medicaid, then you know you're likely homeless. I mean that's what I see. I, I've done criminal defense and prosecution for years. You know that. Yeah. And what I see over and over again is people who they they get onto medication because they're they're in prison and they're medicated when they're in prison. The moment they get out, now they feel better, so they stop taking the medication because the medication makes them sick. Or well, they mean, can't afford the medication. Well, even if they can get their hands on it. The problem is is that the medication has such side effects that they don't want to have those side effects. They have sexual dysfunction. They have loss of cognitive abilities. They have narcolepsy that gets pushed on them. And they don't want to live like that. So they stop taking the medication. But when they stop making the medication, then they're no longer able to function rationally. But even when it doesn't have the side effects, say the the psychiatric drug Wellbutrin. I had a friend that was on this. for It's an antidepressant. And the main side effect of this is it made her quit smoking. So I don't see that as being that bad of a deal. The drug itself, a generic, was $172 for a month supply. Mm-hmm. And without insurance, who can afford that? If you can't afford insurance, how can you afford How can you afford $172 for just one of your medications? Exactly. And so it comes down to affordability factors for some of these people that are uh, mentally ill. They can't keep a job. They welfare's not going to pay for it yeah you know and medicaid's not medicaid may pay for it if they qualify for medicaid but the qualifiers for medicaid are odd and some of these people end up homeless they end up living on the streets then what exactly and now you know the conspiracy theorist in us has a little bit different pull on all of this and and why people who are on psychotropic drugs end up shooting up movie theaters but we're coming up on a commercial break so we'll be right back in just a minute you're listening to georgiacarry.org radio Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. Before we went to the break, I mentioned, you know, the conspiracy theory side of things with with psychotropic drugs. And, you know, I I used to be involved in a a different career path that had me listening to the Alex Jones show and people who wore tinfoil hats all the time. And what one of the things that you would hear a lot, especially around the time of the Colorado shooting, was that people who are, are taking psychotropic drugs end up going and shooting at movie theaters. And this is kind of like the, if you've ever seen the Mel Gibson movie Conspiracy Theory, I know it's on Netflix right now, they, they were being programmed to do things like this by the government to go shoot up places and they had triggers that would cause it and the, the drugs would helped condition their programming to, to do these heinous acts. Well, you know, as I was reading the um, story 
the other day when it broke in the news. I think it was the day after the actual incident. I can't say that for my for a second my brain didn't go. Well, there's an awful lot of this happening. It almost makes you wonder if they're not like sleepers. Yeah. And well, something wakes them up and makes them do it that morning. You know, I, I tend to think that it's more that no no um, emergency goes wasted anymore, that the government in all of its fo- forms and functions jumps on this. And the, that the is Tennessee- un- unless somebody's killed by an illegal immigrant, and then that's swept under the rug for all... Unless you're unless you're immigrant that's shooting people is shooting a lion instead, then it's front page news. Right. The, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There was a woman in California that was killed by an illegal immigrant that was, you know, here and, and criminal in in Mexico, going to be a criminal here too, here illegally. Mm-hmm. And the Obama administration had that swept up under the rug. But Cecil the lion, everyone, we're really sad that he's dead. And people went and vandalized the dentist's the yard. Now. And threw animal crackers in his yard. What a waste of good animal crackers. Well, that just There's brings... a hungry duck somewhere. It's really <laughs> mad. Brings the birds down on him. <laughs> That's horrible. But, you um, know, we're, we're talking about this guy and, and the mental illness, and it's really sad. He hadn't had contact in his, with his family in three years, and it's actually pretty prevalent. I, You know, I've had these cases. I had the guy who assaulted his parents and had to be committed. I had, uh, you know people who you couldn't find anyone to take responsibility for them who had been basically kidnapped by somebody who was taking their their uh, social security money because of their mental disability and was keeping them locked in a small room and, and stealing their money and when you go and you find out what's happening and the police you know take custody of the 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 person who has no mental faculties whatsoever and says where are their family their family won't return phone calls to try to come help them I mean, people get abandoned. The family goes, well, it's not my problem. I can't take it anymore. And I don't... And it, it's, it's a hard thing. I mean, my grandmother, I'm, and I'm telling, you know, family history here, but my, my grandmother suffered from depression as a young woman and was sent to get some help for her depression. And back in those days, we're talking the, the 1940s, the 1930s, they used a lot of that electroshock therapy and there were a lot of experimental drugs. The drugs they gave her actually gave her a um, chemical imbalance in her brain in the dopamine levels and made her schizophrenic. And from then, her family had trouble dealing with her. If it wasn't for my grandfather, who was just an incredible man, she would have been alone until the day she died. Yeah. And with schizophrenia. So it's there's a lot of that where the family goes, you know, I just I can't, I do, can't it do it anymore. anymore. And it's really hard to deal with someone with those kind of mental problems. That's what we heard coming out of the the Lafayette shooter. The family said we just couldn't we couldn't deal with him anymore. We had nothing to do with him. We decided that it was better for him to just go on and live his life and us live ours. And the reality is when they did that and decided that they couldn't do it anymore, they put people in danger and they didn't even realize it. Yeah. And this, the sad part is this is actually very prevalent. We're talking about um, 44 million adults in America experience mental illness in a year. Now, this may be a long-term mental illness or, you know, a short bout with a little bit of depression. We're, we're talking about roughly 10%, maybe slightly higher, of the population. And these statistics come from NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So they're not like left-wing or right-wing. I, they're kind of... I take all of those numbers with a grain of salt. Anybody who has the initiative to create statistics has a reason to slant them. And this is true, but I'm just using this as a general rule. You know, we're not going to say the numbers are exactly on. But we're looking at 1.1% of Americans live with schizophrenia. So we're looking at just a little over one out of every hundred 
So you can get 100 people in the room, and, a, and one of them may be a diagnosed schizophrenic. So, you know, you go to Kroger on a Saturday morning when it's busy, there's one schizophrenic. There's a schizo in there, <laughs> yeah. And then you've got 6.1 million, or 2.6% of people, living with bipolar disorder. Now, bipolar disorder is a pretty serious mental health condition. It's one of those spectrum conditions where you can mm-hmm. have a little of it or a lot. Right. But bipolar disorder is, like, pretty pretty severe mood swings where they're they can be up and 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 happy or they can be really up and kind of manic and and over the top or they can be really down and depressed and it it's somebody that's kind of unpredictable and then there's a mixture of these two disorders that's called schizoaffective and it's when they're schizophrenic and bipolar and that's that's a dangerous mixture there because not only are they up and down moods all the time but they schizophrenics typically like are imagining or hallucinating about things that are going on in their world so they're not only just up and down but they think that the screw that held the picture into the wall last week that fell off the wall is now a camera right so you know they're kind of a dangerous group now a lot of these people have never been medicated at all or institutionalized and even if they've been institutionalized sometimes it's not um involuntary so there's no record of this to keep them from getting a firearm so how do we keep these people from getting a firearm? And I think that that is where the families are failing these people. Because if, if this was my kid and that he was schizoaffective, okay, or schizophrenic, and I noticed some behavior that wasn't quite right and suddenly he bought a firearm, I would be on the phone with his doctor in a minute going, hey, you guys need to get him back in the hospital because he just bought a gun. Right. Where the families, the families are failing them. Well, you know, we we hear a lot of times, especially I have friends who are, are school teachers, and their their parents come in and say, you know, little Johnny here, I want you to spend extra time with him. And the teacher says, well, does he have an IEP, a, you know, a, a diagnosis that he needs extra time where I get extra resources to spend on him? No, no, no. We want a mainstream. We don't want anyone to know, but spend extra time with him. Well, mainstream means you don't get any extra attention. We and want him mainstreamed because there's still a stigma. stigma with mental illness that you one should be ashamed if they suffer from bipolar disorder and even well, even i have a learning disability okay and i it's i don't have any shame about it i was a good student i made good grades i studied extra hard but i have dyslexia let's talk about and this stigma. i didn't get mainstreamed i didn't get anything i got shuffled to the side and i mean our, when we start talking about preventing people from exercising their second amendment rights that's a stigma in and of itself and i think that there are people who are genuinely afraid of being diagnosed with something and losing their rights when it wasn't something that they should lose their rights over and when this is a a broad brush that gets painted that we say oh mental illness if you fall under the dsm-5 then maybe you shouldn't be allowed to purchase a gun and there are a lot of people who are using this as a backdoor way and it discourages people from seeking moderate or mild help that they may need there are a lot of stupid things in the dsm-5 that that would not disqualify a person from or in my opinion should not disqualify a person from owning a firearm like a attention deficit disorder Mm -hmm. so you can't concentrate the best on certain things or really many things this person is not allowed to buy a firearm that they're really not going to use that often but they're allowed to drive their car every day you know and which one of these is a dangerous object well they both can be in the wrong hands what about obsessive compulsive disorder or i think an obsessive compulsive person may be the best person to to give a firearm because they're going to be very careful careful. with it i'm serious 
but uh, you know there's a lot of things in there that that should not disqualify somebody so you can't say well we're going to disqualify everybody that has a spectrum disorder that's covered in the dsm-5 and that's just asinine but i think that that's really what we see happening look at the scandal with with the uh, veterans administration where they started getting records from the veterans administration to see who had been uh um uh, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. stress disorder the, and see that's sad too because i know some people with ptsd and it, and it can be caused by a lot of different things and having post-traumatic stress doesn't mean that you're a danger to anyone right not, not yourself or anyone it means that you went through something terrible and that it haunts you in your sleep and it haunts you in your waking hours and i know some veterans that still look look to the rooftops of buildings to see if there's somebody up there that's going to shoot them it doesn't mean that if they see a guy up there that they're going to pull the gun off their side and shoot him it means that they're going to probably break down in a panic attack and cry and that doesn't mean that this is a should be the disqualifying factor for someone to protect themselves i I think that there comes a point where the democrats and liberals stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch to where they they feel like they could put everybody that wants a gun into a box of dangerous folks and just take all of our guns away and that's what it is it's a slowly one one at a time they're gun grabbing you know it's it's a slippery slope argument which is a logical fallacy saying that uh, if we if we prohibit anybody who has a mental illness from owning a firearm then we'll prevent everybody from owning a firearm and it doesn't work that way we can actually draw a line and say no further but getting to that point in the climate, the, the geopolitical climate we're in is very dangerous because there are people whose sole purpose in life is to take away our right to defend ourselves. Now, where is that line? I could say, well, you know, schizophrenics are kind of dangerous. I, I have no problem with them taking the 1.1% of Americans that live with schizophrenia and saying, you probably shouldn't have a gun. Or the 26 that live with bipolar disorder on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not the lower end of the spectrum, but the higher end of the spectrum. Maybe they shouldn't. Or even, um, what is the name of that disorder? I can't remember the name of the disorder, but it's like people that just like snap in an instant and, and they're, they're crazy. Like, um, borderline personality disorder. That's it. Maybe the, the higher end of the spectrum. Those people shouldn't have firearms, but I don't think your typical person with, um, depression's Depression, gonna go yeah, out and shoot up a school. You that's know? that's the one that you know they. I think they can use an elastic clause to get everybody in with. Because if you've ever been depressed, then you know you're a threat to yourself, and that's just not true. Well, we're coming up on a commercial break. I'd like to continue the talk about depression when we come back. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. When we took our commercial break, we were kind of getting into depression as, as being an elastic clause. And this is something that really frightens me because I think that most people who live in a modern society where we are cut off from what we were intended by nature and nature's God to do suffer from some form of depression. And we were not meant to live in a little cubicle box and sit behind a desk and work, you know, behind a computer for eight hours a day and drive for three hours in traffic to get home to watch TV for two hours and eat fast food and go to bed. This is not what human beings were designed for in any way, shape, or form. And this is where we go back to that nearly 44 American adults, 44 million 
American adults that experience mental illness in a year. So we're talking about 44 million people that have some form of, you know, bad days yeah, for a temporary for, time. For, for a prolonged period, we're more talking than about just a day or two. postpartum depression or, you know, simple depression. We're talking about depression over the death of a family member or depression over the loss of a job. Things that are temporary situational depression is how the um, professionals refer to it. Okay. So we're talking about situational depression. Should situational depression be a disqualifier for owning a firearm? And I say absolutely not. Because, you know, my husband passed away and I was depressed for a few weeks. I wasn't interested in going out and and killing anybody. There were firearms around. I think that that's uh, when somebody says, well, you know, even somebody that's depressed, it's dangerous. You're you're reaching pretty far to try to argue that argument. But yet we hear that all the time. We we see that that is one of the go-tos. And it's it's a dangerous thing when we start to take away people's rights. And we, we need to really focus on who are the people who are really a danger to society and then say why aren't they being taken care of in a more comprehensive manner. Because it, you wouldn't take a mass murderer, right, mm-hmm. and put them out on parole and say, well – We've got all these parole regulations in place, so now they won't be a danger. No, you lock them up. Well, we have all this health care reform, Obamacare, and they were trying to reform health care. And what they did was make it so insurance was no longer affordable for the families that were affording it and cause doctors to tell everybody how fat they were. But that's the only reform I've seen. It really didn't help any other ways. And, and require doctors to have uh, computer programs that they can't use. Yeah, that was a big Alaska thing. Was because they require doctors to have electronic records in a place where there's no internet. Yeah. Ah, but while we're dealing with these things, why is there no mental health reform? Why are they not saying, okay, we need to make mental health coverage available for every American, so that when they have that depression, they can get back on their feet. So when they have those anxiety attacks, they can get back on their feet. Let them go through some therapy, maybe some. Um, training on on how to to handle their emotions more so than let's give them some psychotropic drugs and put them on a list of people who can't buy guns yeah. I mean, that's not the way to handle it i think that making the health care mental health care more available and more affordable is, is the cure to this more so than putting people on a list you know georgia is a little different than some other places georgia if you are pleading insanity or found incompetent to stand trial uh, you get institutionalized pretty much from that point on for the rest of your life. So a lot of defense attorneys fight to avoid that characterization as not being competent to stand trial because what would have been a you know 30-day shoplifting case turns into a lifetime commitment. And you're like, you don't want your client to suffer that way. No. But then you've got other states like Alaska where if you're found incompetent to stand trial, the case is simply dismissed and they hope that you get committed somewhere by some civil authority somewhere else and that's a terrifying prospect too so we see some pretty broad spectrums here but then you have places like virginia and florida that if you're um, found guilty by a reason of insanity the institution allows you for a period of time and observe you to make sure you're no longer a danger to yourself or others before they release you yeah so there are some places that are doing it a little better (laughs) Well, the two that I had the most experience with were pretty horrendous yeah. on both ends of the spectrum. And, and they were opposite ends. Either but it was horrendous. one or the other, it's not a happy medium. And there's got to be a place where we go, 
how do we help these people? Because simply putting them out on, in the streets where they have no family to look after them, where they have no resources. No, no resources to get the help they need isn't the cure. But locking them up for the rest of their lives is not the cure either. There's got to be a, pl- a, a way to help these people without it being a huge burden to the tax. And I don't know why it's seen that owning a firearm is such a, a worse thing or more dangerous thing than owning a car. I think that people should see them as equal things. If if you wouldn't take someone's car away, why would you take someone's gun away? They do take people's car away from I, mental illness. I know, I know, and that. <laughs> but you see, if so, if you said, "Well, shoot, you're depressed, so I don't think you should be driving for the next two years," people would just laugh you out of the building. But they would fight that. Like tooth and toenail fight that. But there seems to be this kind of malaise when it comes to firearms about fighting it on these sorts of issues. Like, well, yeah, I see what you mean. Maybe, maybe people who are depressed shouldn't have a gun because then they would commit. And shoot, the, 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 the medical profession beats this drumbeat left and right. There, in one of the articles I was reading, there was the, the head of the Institute of Health for Vanderbilt University or something like that. That's in Nashville. Yeah. And he comes out and says, well, it's undeniable that in a society that has more fire Firearms, there's more firearm crime by mentally ill people. And I'm like, no, it's not undeniable. It's completely deniable. It, it, it's that it's not that there's more firearms, which leads to more of these crimes. It's that their mental health professionals are not taking care of people who have been repeatedly diagnosed with serious mental illness. But instead, they give them some drugs and turn them back on the streets when they need to be in a place where they are cared for, actually cared for, not warehoused, not locked up. Not left to be be commit suicide by cop, which is what seems like happened here, for no good reason. Good reasons for them to take someone who's mentally ill and just throw them out on the streets either. And we see a lot of that. And in fact, we have Vietnam veterans who suffer from all matter of mental illness because of the things they went through and exposure to certain chemicals and things their government did to them that are homeless and you see them on the street just holding a sign that that says they're homeless and can't afford a, a, a meal and meanwhile we're trying to take guns away from people when we should be focusing on helping these people that are mentally ill yeah uh, it, it's the how a society treats the people who are the worst off is the biggest reflection of that society and i think that we completely ignore the people who are in real trouble we take care of people who know how to milk the system and it it is just an abomination on this country and everything that this country was founded for and stood for you know i think that government is not the solution to fixing the mental health issue. I think that psychiatrists and, and psychologists should be donating enough of their services to take care of the people who are truly, you know, in that di- most dire of circumstance. You know, as everybody an, as an, talks so bad about attorneys, but at least you see attorneys doing pro bono work. I very rarely see a psychologist or um, psychiatrist or therapist doing pro bono donated. Well, you you may get to see more pro bono work from attorneys given your relationship. I mean, there there maybe that is something that happens out there, but that's the way you take care of it. Is you have private industry and people who accept the responsibility of being a professional. This is something that is entrusted to you by society. You're given a monopoly on practice. You are able to do something that other people can't do because of years of training and your own hard work and the agreement of society to allow you to do this. And in exchange for that, you take care of the people who need help at a reduced rate or for free, depending on what's needed. And that's just part of the job. 
as part of being someone who is above and beyond just a menial laborer. And if you don't get that, then go back and work at McDonald's and don't be a lawyer and don't be a doctor and don't be someone who is called to a higher calling. Well, the people that are called to a higher calling aren't always called there because they care about people. It's usually because they care about money. And if you care about money, you're not going to donate your services. You're going to make money and put it in your pocket and not help anybody. And that's what's happening right now with society is we have too many doctors that are interested in being the, the rich plastic surgeon and not enough doctors that are interested in helping people and being dr quinn well look at the people you know that i hold up in as as role models look at ron paul i mean ron paul's retired now but he would donate hundreds of hours of years a year working in low-income emergency rooms delivering babies you know his son rand paul was doing pro bono eye surgeries a few weeks back i saw him online where he was doing pro bono eye surgeries in kentucky and i had to applaud him for that i mean god bless anyone who does a pro bono eye surgery yeah no kidding because that it gets very expensive for patients that are about to lose their vision but you know we we have all these patients out here that are mental patients who who can't get their their help they can't get their medications and even the walk-in medical clinics like you you have um county funded charity clinics and they will not help people with their psycho drugs. Yeah. Where does where do these people get help? Because they can't just go into one of those doctors that see you on a sliding scale and say, hey, I'm, I'm depressed and I need some medication or I'm schizophrenic and I used to be on this and this and this, but I can't afford it right now. And, and get those drugs that they need. They can't do it. They have to be without. And it's very sad. Private charity, private individuals taking responsibility, us coming together as a community to take care of the less fortunate rather than having a government order it would be the, the way to fix it. But people just won't. No, they won't. And our politicians won't. They would rather go after law-abiding citizens that own guns than get to the root of the issue. And until you get to the root of the issue and realize that that's an issue with our society more so than with gun owners, that's an issue with um, a lack of resources for people that can't afford care, then you just are sweeping the issue under the rug. Well, I think it's worse than sweeping the issue under the rug, Jesse. I think that they're actively allowing this issue to fester to be able to use it for political gain. I agree. We're coming up on a commercial break, folks. We'll be right back with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. Of course, you know, we talk every week about everything that GeorgiaCarry.org is doing across the state of Georgia to try to protect the rights of people to, to defend themselves, to own firearms, and, and to safeguard against the intrusions of, of larger government. And, of course, if you want to be a member of GeorgiaCarry.org, the easiest way to become a member is to simply go to www.GeorgiaCarry.org. In the top left-hand corner, click Join Now. It's $20 a year, $500 for a lifetime membership, and that gets you information coming right to your inbox every time there's a major bill up for debate when there's meetings at the legislature, who to call and what to tell them and help to get you motivated into making meaningful change. Of course, if you're not online, if you're listening to us over our over-the-air broadcast, you can always pop in the local gun show and join up there. Most of the local um, festivals and fairs have a georgiacarry.org booth. We're happy to give you more information, get you a sticker or a magnet, and get you signed up uh, at the location. Also, we're doing a, a series of uh, local chapter meetings. I know there's one in the South Metro 
metro area of Valdosta is very active, and there's a new one starting up in North Georgia very soon. <laughs> and these, I'm telling you, Jesse, you know, doing this show every week, it makes me feel like a thousand bucks when I can say to people, look, there's new chapter meetings to go to and things that you can get involved in. The newest, latest chapter information is the North, Northwest, West chapter. Is North have, by Northwest, like the movie? It, very funny. In Hiram, they're meeting today at Jim and Nick's at 11 o'clock this morning. And they're going to be having some barbecue over at Jim and Nick's. And love some barbecue. Who don't love some barbecue? Was it Carolina style or Georgia style? You know, when or? you say Carolina style, that describes about four different kinds of barbecue, right? Okay. There's sweet Carolina style, sweet and there's vinegary Carolina. Carolina style, and then there's mustardy Carolina mm-hmm. style. So there's a, a lot of different Carolina barbecue, but that's good what's on the point. never felt so good. We are going to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. And today, the good is coming from Maine, which is a, a rarity <laughs> that anything good comes out of the north. But their um, the headline is Boy Scouts use donated guns, suppressors, in unique training program. Woohoo! Scouts in Maine are getting a chance to participate in the shooting sports with an increased level of safety on behalf of new suppressors, rifles, and ammunition contributed free of charge. Awesome. This past spring, the Boy Scouts of America's Pine Tree Council, which serves 10 counties in central Maine, took possession of a windfall of gear with the help of gun rights groups and the shooting industry. The equipment is allowing the scouts at Camp William Hines, a 280-acre facility in the state's Sabago Lakes region, to use suppressor-equipped rifles, pistols, and shotguns during its week-long summer camps this I, year. I bet that camp used an LLC to purchase the the transfer of the suppressors under the NFA Act, but you know, an individual can always use a trust if they want to be able to pass it down to their progeny without having any complications. I would say that more likely, because it says that they took possession of a windfall of gear, I believe that someone with an LLC left the items to... They, they could have... If if the the camp is organized as an LLC, they would still have to do a, a transfer with it's a probably tax. A, a for trust each one. left behind for the items. It could be the 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 camp or or the the branch of the Boy Scouts was probably the um, beneficiary of someone's trust. And if you want to set up a trust, you can always contact me at Doug at KingsLawOffice.net. And no shameless plugs on this show. Amen. <laughs> so. The bad is coming from gun control advocates that launched a campaign to drop the gun emoji from iPhones. Wow. I used that emoji and sent it to my sister the other day. Do you think she's okay? Yeah, I think she probably made it. (laughs) So an anti-gun organization in New York, of all places. Who would have thought? New York. New York. On Thursday, debuted a social media campaign to convince Apple to remove the ideogram depicting a gun from their iPhones. Bang, bang, I sent you an emoji. You're dead. <laughs> so anyway, New Yorkers Against Gun Violence kicked off their Disarm the iPhone Drive this week with a website, video, and press relief target press release targeting the popular mobile devices. The group cautions that the emoji, one of hundreds on the product that come preloaded from the factory, reflects the ready access to guns in the country. You know, I, I know that one of the companies out there, I think it was Magpul, it may have been somebody else, came out with a iPhone 
uh, attachment so you can attach it to your AR-15. No joke. <laughs> Have you seen the selfie stick that actually holds a gun instead of so they can just shoot themselves with it? <laughs> Very appropriate for our mental health episode. Right? <laughs> no kidding. Anyway, I want to rename New Yorkers against gun violence and call them morons against everything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and the ugly this week comes from California. New York and California. Why is the bad and the ugly always from New York and California? Sometimes from Chicago. That's where the Obamas come from, and they sure are ugly. But anyway, yes, I did it again. California, the city of Los Angeles, magazine confiscation ordinance heading to mayor's office. So basically, they're wanting to pass a law that says that they can confiscate your magazines, and they want the mayor to sign off on it, right? Isn't that against the First Amendment? I think it is, but we'll see how that goes for them. Um, in 2013, the Los Angeles City Council proposed an ordinance declaring magazines capable of holding more than 10 rounds of ammunition, the so-called large-capacity magazines, a public nuisance subject to confiscation and destruction. Would a, would a 50 BMG magazine that held four rounds be a large-capacity magazine? Because those suckers are like this long, Jess, and they weigh uh, about a <laughs> pound and a half. That's insane. Apparently not to them. It's got to be 10 rounds because... Any round above number nine is deadly. Well, you know what Bill Ruger said? No honest man needs more than ten rounds. Nope. That's why you carry five magazines with ten rounds in them each. Extra honest. They're not prohibiting directly their possession. The initial proposal's ultimate objective was to remove currently legal magazines from the hands of countless Los Angeles gun owners. Emboldened by recent moves to flatly ban the possession of such magazines in San Francisco and Sunnyvale, however, Los Angeles City Attorney presented an amended ordinance in June of 2014 banning large-capacity magazines within city limits and criminalizing the transportation of such magazines to the city. So basically they are criminalizing legal behavior. This is why we have preemption in Georgia to keep some crazy little city from stealing your stuff when you pass through it. And that happens more often than we'd like to admit that police pull somebody over and take their firearm when it has nothing to do with their traffic offense and the firearm is legally owned or they steal somebody's car and impound it or... So the amended ordinance will not prevent violent crime or mass shootings, but it does sadly limit the Second Amendment right of law-abiding citizens to own their guns and choose to use the magazines to defend themselves and their families. And unfortunately, on Tuesday, July 28... 2015, the city council voted unanimously to adopt the amended yet still useless version and sent it to the mayor for his approval, which the mayor has indicated he's eager to do. Of course. Um, The NRA is actually asking everybody to contact the mayor and urge him to not sign this unproductive ordinance. You can email this mayor at mayor.garcetti, that's G-A-R-C-E-T-T-I, at lacity.org or you can call the mayor at 213-978-0600. Now, Jesse, tell me, why why didn't you pick one of the Georgia cities that are trying to enact laws like this to cover? Because this isn't happening in Georgia. <laughs> you know, when we first started this show, every week I was trying to cover bad, <laughs> good, bad, and ugly in Georgia. But we have good. We really don't have that much bad and ugly in Georgia. The, the reality is it does not happen as much in Georgia as it happens in New York and California. And why is that? 
that is thanks to georgiacarry.org and their ability to communicate with our legislators and make sure that crappy laws like this don't get passed. Like we say, no shameless plugs on this show. Anyway, folks, uh, we thank you for joining us this week. I hope that you got something you know educational about our little discussion concerning mental health and, and mental illness in America. This is a real problem. This needs real solutions. It needs people to step up and stand in the gap is what it needs. And it's, uh, government is never the solution to our problems. And we're not going to solve these problems by more regulations on honest people and more regulations on people who don't have mental illness. We're going to solve it by us standing in the gap for the people who do and standing up for them. we got to take care of our own. So I urge everyone that's listening today to go out and hug a crazy person. And and get involved. Get involved with georgiacarry.org. Get involved with your legislature. Folks, we'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8, right here on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town. 